Father, thank you for your word that we're going to unpack this morning. And we know that you are infinitely more powerful and more great and more awesome than we could ever know. And we know that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so in light of that, we yield our lives to you. And we're asking that you would lead us, that you would speak to us from your word, things we need to hear. And may it come alive in our hearts. And may we, we leave here knowing that, that you, Jesus, are awesome. In your name we pray. Amen. And so the title of the message is this. This is, Do You Want to Not Just Survive, But Do You Want to Thrive? And I want to say right up front that this isn't some rah-rah, everybody thrive. And I realize the reality of life, and sometimes the reality is this. Sometimes the reality is you just hang in there and you just survive. You know what I mean? There are seasons of life where it's about surviving. You just got to make it through what you're going through. But ultimately, God would have us be in a place where we're not just surviving all the time, but he would actually have us to thrive in life. And Paul now is going to write from prison to a young man who was really struggling, who was barely surviving and barely hanging in there. And so what you're going to get this morning is this. You're going to get five ways not only that will help you survive, but ultimately can help you to thrive in this life as a Christ follower. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And so the context is this. And by the way, you can listen to all the messages online for free forever. Or if you're not here, we have live streaming anywhere there in the world. So here's the context. This is written to a young man in his 30s, and he's despondent. He's discouraged. He's, de- he's dejected. Probably he's a bit depressed. He's writing to a guy here that is experiencing some really dark season of the soul. It's like where darkness is encroaching upon him. And he's having a really difficult time. So Timothy now is battling discouragement here. He's in a season where it's just a low point. He just has hit a low point in his life here. And how often do you reach a low point in your life? And how do you negotiate that low point? That's what we're going to talk about here this morning. So you have this young guy, responsibility of a whole church. And he's kind of trying to figure it out. He's a rookie pastor there, and so he's licking his wounds. He's having such a a hard time there that he's flunking out in his calling. He literally is flunking out. He's getting an F in the use of his his gifts here. He's failing to use his God-given gifts. He's unsure of himself. He's timid. He's fearful, and he needs to be encouraged. So Paul writes from prison when he's going to shortly face his own execution. He's a very brief time that he's going to be on earth here. He's at the very end, and he knows it. It's basically over. He's in the big house, the clink, the prison there, in a maximum security Roman dungeon there that was literally a hole in the ground, a stinking, horrible hole in the ground. And that's where he was living there. So we're going to get now five ways. He's going to write to Timothy from that context. And he's going to say this in verse 12, getting back to the basics. This is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it. Now watch this. This is the hinge point. This is everything. For I know the one in whom I trust. Okay, I know the one in whom I trust. It may be brutal. I'm going through the most difficult of all situations here. I Physically, I am despairing. But I know the one in whom I trust. 
And I'm sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. And so Paul says, here I am, Tim, and I'm in prison. And it's brutal. And I'm suffering. And it's so hard here. It's bad. Life is bad. But in your notes there, he says this, know this, know this. He says that you are designed to know God in the midst of your circumstances. No matter how difficult, you're designed to know God. He says, I know, (coughs) I know in whom I trust. And so he's saying, look, God's not some impersonal God. God is not an impersonal force here. You can know him personally. I know, okay, this God in whom I trust here. And so he says, God wants you, Timothy, and us here to have a relationship with this God. This is how you're sustained. This is how you make it through. God created you with the capacity to know him. Paul said when he wrote to the church at Philippi that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering. He says, I've done all this amazing stuff out there. He wasn't really being braggadocious. He was just stating the facts there. He says, but when I consider that I can know him. He says, that's just like rubbish in comparison. So Paul is saying here, I have experienced the absolute reality of knowing God. And he's trying to, to translate this to his son in the faith, Timothy, saying, look, though our circumstances may stink, though they may stink, knowing God is the key here. There used to be a song written by Graham uh, Kendrick. I don't know if you ever heard of it. And it went like this. Um, Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. You remember that song? Anybody remember that song? And so, knowing you, Jesus, there's no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best. Best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you. And so Paul's saying that, Timothy, there's nothing so great as knowing God. So that's the first thing that he points out here. And then he points out something else in verse 13. He says, hold on. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you've learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Hold on means this. It means to grasp and don't let go. It means to firmly grasp here, to grasp tightly. And so he's seen and heard Paul teach. He's like, this is what you need to grab onto. Grab onto the life-giving, healthy wholesome scripture, the word of God, that which you've been taught and you're teaching. Hold on to, he's saying, sound biblical teaching. That's what he's saying. Wholesome, some of your translations, it means means health-giving. It doesn't say hold on to the latest fad, hold on to the coolest thing, the newest little spiritual twist and fad to come down the pike here. says, you want to thrive? Okay, know God, but hold on to the scriptures here. And so there is no new truth. All the truth is there. It says, stay steady in the scriptures. That's why we're so adamant about just unpacking the scriptures when we gather on Sunday morning. So in your notes there, hold on to the life-giving Bible teaching there. Hold on to that. Now, why would you do that? Well, you'll be better at life if you do. It'll build your relationship with God. You'll know Jesus better. You'll be able to uh, defeat the enemy. It'll give you words of direction. 
You'll become wise. You'll overcome sin and temptation. You'll be guarded against false teachings. See, we need to hold on like he did. And so it is, but not in your own power. It's not about you. It's not about you, Timothy. Not you holding on in your own power. Verse 14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who, who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that's been entrusted to you. So Paul is asking Timothy to be faithful to what he's learned at, at the very feet of Paul there, and to teach it and to live it faithfully, and encourages him to hold on to this here. But he can't do it in his own power. He needs the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, your willpower is not enough power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. The one thing you absolutely cannot do without, he's saying, is you need the Holy Spirit here. So the circumstances that you're facing, and we hear this morning what you face, it's way too big for you. You need God's power. You were designed to live in the power of God's Holy Spirit there. And so, in your notes, access then the help of the Holy Spirit. And I would, I would add, as a lifestyle, as a way of living, that's who you are here. So the Holy Spirit gives you guidance. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you to help you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, that uh, only those people who are led by God's Spirit are actually God's children. That the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so that's how you were designed by God to live your life as those that are led by God's Spirit, where you're sensitive to God's promptings, where you may feel uneasy in your heart, and you know that's God not leading me in that direction, but he wants to lead you. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, look, you've got it. It's, it's indispensable, and it's irreducible. You must live by the Holy Spirit. And then he shifts gears here. So he says, number one, number one, you got to know God. Number two there, okay, number two there, you have to stay steady in the Scriptures. But now you need the Holy Spirit, number three. Now he's going to say, he's going to shift gears here. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about relationships. Because if you're going to get through what you're going through, relationships will break you or make you. So watch what he says here. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me even Phygelus and Hermogenes. I mean, so you know, why, you know why we read the scriptures the way we did this morning? So you wouldn't have to read that. So you wouldn't have to figure that out on the fly. That's why I did that. Aronis Forest. I mean, who wants to have to try to figure that out on the fly? So thank you. I took the hit for you myself. Anyway, I'm just playing with you. But Hermogenes, like what a name is that? It sounds to me like a disease. Like you have a really bad case of stage three Hermogenes. We're so sorry to hear what happened to you. Or Phygelus. I mean, who would name their kid something like that? That sounds like an STD to me. You know what I mean? I like it's Phygelus. So sorry to hear you have Phygelus. So. <laughs> but anyway, what happens here is he points out that there's all these people that have bailed on me in Asia there. And Paul takes this personal. People say, it's not personal. Yeah, it's personal. But then he begins to zero in on a couple others that he really wants to talk about. 
And so people bailed on Paul. Paul's feeling forgotten. He's feeling rejected here. And it seems like they were just along for the ride. And then what happened when it was no longer convenient to be connected to the great apostle, now when he's in the slammer, now when you could, you could be at risk for knowing him and associating with him, now nobody wants to know him. Now all of a sudden he's isolated there in Rome. And they turn their backs on him. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you felt someone just turned their back on you? Where you felt rejected or you felt that they were just going along for the ride, and then when things got a little bumpy, they bail on you. And that's what Paul was dealing with here. He was deserted. He was abandoned here. And how discouraging is that? You know how discouraging to the soul that is when that happens. When you feel like people perhaps you've had a relationship with, you've supported, maybe you've mentored, maybe you've cared for, maybe you've given them opportunities, maybe you've walked through life with them, and then they just quit, bail on you and let you down. And that's what happened to Paul. He says, everyone in Asia did this to me. Like I'm, a, like, like I'm a bad guy or something. He said, I thought they had my back, but now I see that they don't here. And so really he's, he's, he's talking about his crushing disappointment, that this is painful, that this was a relational a train wreck, so painful. And so, but he's like, but I got something to talk to you about. He says, there's a couple people that I want to point out to you, and I'm not going to let them off the hook. And you want to know their names? Their names will be known for all history in the Bible for what they did to me. It's like, really? Like, Paul, like when you get to heaven, if they're in heaven, you want to say, Hermogenes, like, what did you do to Paul, man, to get your name in the Bible there that the whole world for every generation is going to know what a royal mess up that you are and what you did in burning the apostle Paul. So for 2,000 years, Hear their names to know these guys really messed it up. So Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, all that to say this. Hey, Timothy, just because you're committed, just because you're a man of God, just because, Timothy, you always do the right thing, just because you are loyal and you are dedicated and you are committed, just because you've given your life to serve God, just because you've done all that, doesn't mean you're going to get that back. So Timothy, don't be surprised. Because you think that because of what you've done and how you are, that maybe this subtle thing, like you deserve that back. And he's saying, no, it's not like that, Timothy. If you're going to survive, you need to realize something. He says, Timothy, prepare for disappointment. Prepare for disappointment in the church. Maybe you have to prepare for profound disappointment in the church. And how many people do I know that over the years I've seen them either near or afar get hurt or heard the stories, someone that gets hurt, and that's it. End of story, end of game, I'm out of here. Paul is saying, but Timothy, you need to know this, that there's a Hermogenes around, there's a Phygelus around, and they, they crushed me, they wounded me, and so you're going to be disappointed there. And so, Timothy, look, and if I could say to us, look, a church community is full of imperfect people, imperfect people, 
Uh, and so it's an imperfect place, an imperfect community. People who do imperfect things, broken people, wounded people, people that are in recovery, people that need extra grace, and those people will do imperfect things and say imperfect things, and they may wound you or hurt you or disappoint you or profoundly disappoint you in church there, in your notes. And so... Paul is trying to prepare him, look, if, if you're going to survive, you need to know this reality. And as I was thinking about this, think about it, in one organization where there are human beings, that there's not disappointment in that organization. I mean, where can you go? And then people think, well, I go to church, like, and I got hurt. Someone disappointed me. It's like, well, welcome to real life. Welcome to church. That's just how it is. And so prepare for disappointment. But then he says, but hope will arrive. This is so good. Verse 16. And may the Lord show special kindness on us for us and all his family because watch what he did. He often visited me and encouraged me and was never ashamed of me because I was in change. Yeah, you're going to bump into Hermogenes. Yeah, Phygelus is unavoidable. But you need to know there's an onus for us also coming here. He says, look, this is what he did. He caught, it literally means this. You know when you bump into to Hermogenes, you know what happens? You get the wind knocked out of you. You know what I'm saying? You get the emotional wind knocked out of you. But he says this. But Onus Force is happening, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to help you breathe more easily. Isn't that good? He's going to revive you. He's going to help you. He's going to encourage you. He's not going to bail on you. In fact, he risked his own life. He risked his own life. Lee, he was a wealthy guy there, wealthy guy, bringing food and clothing and money and all. And so even Paul, I want you to see this. Even Paul, who's a man of, of immense gravitas, a man of immense courage and presence and calling, the likes of which the world may has never seen since. And even Paul needed to be encouraged. How much more do we need to be encouraged? How much more do you need to have an onus for us in your life? And we're going to talk about that. So I want you to picture this in your mind. Go with me here. you got to go with me because here's what happened. Picture there, there's a dungeon in Rome, which is a hole, a hell hole in the ground, which, by the way, sometimes to get rid of the prisoners, they would fill it with sewage and drown them. So Paul was in that, in that hole there, okay, that hole. And so a hole in the ground, and it's dark and it's cold. It's so cold, he says, would you just bring me a coat? Paul's probably freezing there. I want you to see that here's an aged, weathered, little Jewish man in the hole, chained to a guard probably. Paul of Tarsus is awaiting execution. And so keep in mind, Paul's not famous at this point here. He doesn't know that his writings are going to radically change the world. He doesn't know that. All he knows is the end is near. All he knows is he's been abandoned here. And all of a sudden, he hears a little noise. You can go with me here. He hears a little noise, a little rattling there. There's a dim ray of light that begins to filter through. It's dark, but a dim ray of light begins to filter through. And maybe he's squinting with his eyes there. And he looks up, and he, and he hears some noise there. And the old man squints, and he begins to see the light there. But he couldn't see who was climbing. Somebody's starting to climb down the ladder. And he hears a voice here. Paul, Paul, I found you at last. Paul, is Otis Forrest, is, is that you, my friend? Otis Forrest, and there they are. And, uh, and Otis Forrest is hugging and warmly embraces this cold body of the great apostle. 
Otis Forrest, it's so great to see you here. In spite of the wretched stench of Paul, and, and there's so great to see you there. And who's Otis Forrest? Just a guy. It's a guy from, from Ephesus. We don't really know how, how, how important he was. And I want you to think about this. Think about this. Like, could he have ever thought in his mind, why should I go see the Apostle Paul? I mean, why should I? I mean, he's the great Apostle Paul. He's been in prison before. He's got this figured out. This is his life here. He knows how, he knows how to do prison. I mean, he's a guy who writes the Bible, and he's strong, and like he hears God's voice there. And he doesn't need me. I'm just, I'm just Otis Morris. Like, who am I that I would go visit the great Apostle Paul? And so I think sometimes I just submit to you, I submit to you this. The great Apostle Paul survived because of one man named Onus Forrest that came to visit him. Behind the scenes, this unnamed, unknown person visits him. I think he was the difference that helped him through that moment here. He was the one person that stepped up. He's the one. Could it be, could it be that Onus Forrest saw something no one else saw? Could it be that this is the story behind the story that changed the story of Paul's life. Onus Forrest digs deep. In that day, to find a prisoner was, was, was really super difficult to do because they didn't keep their identity. They didn't make it known. There was no records. There was no place to go. They really didn't even, Rome didn't really even want you to know where they were. And so it says, he kept looking for me, and then he often visited me. And so I want you to think about this. There's Onus Forrest, and he, he, writes, he arrives there, and he sees the great apostle, and they embrace. Do you think he ever thought he was going to get his name in the Bible? Do you think he did this because he thought, yeah, someday, 2,000 years from now, Calamasa, California, they're going to be talking about me? No, no. So, see, he didn't know. He didn't know what was at stake. He didn't know that, that the impact he was going to have in his life. And look at one man behind the scenes did something that Paul didn't write about it. We would never even know about it. It happened. He says, man, this is, what he, this is what it literally means. You want to know what it literally means? It literally means this. It means he brought me. There I was in prison. No one visited me. Everyone deserted me. I'm discouraged and, and, and despondent here. And one man came, and one man brought me a cold glass of water. He said, and he did it over and over again. He continued to visit me. That's what he did. And so could you do that? I mean, people say, well, I'm not gifted. I'm not good enough. I'm not educated. Could you be a cup of cold water to someone that needs to drink? Could you do that? I know that we could all do that. And so, and all that to say this, all that to say this, is that Onus Forrest, he did that because that's who he was. He didn't wait, watch. He didn't wait to be asked. He went. And as a people and as a church, we're not going to be the kind of people that wait to be asked. We're going to go. So that's why in the Hurricane Harvey a couple years ago, we just went. We sent three teams to Texas there in Houston. And so we just went. We didn't ask to be, didn't ask to be invited or anything like that. And so that's what Onus Forest was. That was the spirit of the man. He just went, didn't ask, didn't wait to be invited. And that's, that's who we are. So the community there is out of blood, out of blood, like dangerously out of blood. So we start giving blood. 
We're just gonna, and we're going to do that in a, in a couple more months. And so uh, that's what we do. We just want to bless the community. So, so that's who we are too. He was the one that, that didn't wait to be asked. So he digged deep and he had to search long and hard to find the Apostle Paul. And then one day, Paul would write about him. Think about that. Think about your life. Think about your story. Think about this. Are you giving people stories to write about you that they might want like this here? I mean, if one of your friends became a writer there and decided to talk about your relationship and the behind the scenes relationship that you have, are we giving them anything to write about? That they could write, say, you know what? Let me, let me, let me tell you about Mark. Let me tell you about Mary. Let me tell, you, man, the the way they were to me, they were like a just like a cup of fresh water. I was so thirsty. I was the life was just beating the snot out of me. And then they came to my life and they refreshed me. They revived me. They poured cold water on me. So Onus Forest shows up in the darkest hour of his life, and he was there. I also want to say this: like, what was it about him that made him do that? Well. One thing was, was that he took a risk. He also took a risk there. I say, what kind of risk? There was a big risk to be associated with Paul. That's why he says, you weren't ashamed of my chains. Because that, that was a risk. There was a negative s- stigma being a criminal of the state of Rome there, a convicted criminal there. And so, but he had eyes again to see here. So when he saw what no one else saw. So in your notes there, Build genuine onus forest type friendships. In your notes, there are friendships that are marked by ongoing encouragement. Perhaps you could be the one that encourages there. Watch this. He often, often encouraged me. Literally, he often refreshed me there. He was consistent and had this ongoing encouragement where it was cooling him off to recover your breath there. So when the, when the life is sucked out of you, when your breath is sucked out of you by your circumstances, there is an onus forest type relationship where it just rebreathes life into you, and that's who he was there. He revived his spirit. He didn't kill it. Say, he helped to ease his heartache. Okay, he was the wind then that filled Paul's wings. That's who he was to him. And so, how, this is so great. I don't know about you, but it just fires me up to want to be like onus forest, huh? And so, in your notes there, kindness was expressed. It was tangible and practical. Tangible and practical. He didn't just say, hey, oh, 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 Paul, we're going to pray for you. God bless you. No, no. Okay, it was practical and tangible. He came. He showed up. And he showed up with stuff to help him. Tangible, practical, uh, a, a, a coat, uh, books there, things Paul had asked for. It's very tangible, very practical there. And so you can be sitting here this morning, and maybe God is calling you to do the same thing here. And so he never was ashamed of me. Never was ashamed of me. And so it might have seemed to some people that it was insignificant, that it was unimportant, but to Paul was a game changer there. And so because he wasn't ashamed of him, I, want to, I just want to talk about this for a moment here. I think one of the reasons why we, why, we, um, why we don't always help people, why we don't always get involved is because of this, because of the shame, because we think it's there, there's some element, some degree of, of shame that's attached to it. And so all of Asia bails on Paul for fear, 
for shame. He says, but you weren't ashamed of me. That made all the difference. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Because there is shame that we can have in life. There's shame that we can have in life. And if we don't overcome that shame, I think like here it will undermine the potential of, of who we could be in this life. It will undermine what we could do in this life because, because of the cloud of shame that I think many people carry even this morning. And so uh, you say, well, you're like the speaker guy. You know, do you, uh, have you had shame? Yeah, I've, I've had tons of shame, tons of shame in my life, just like you. So I grew up, some of you know this, bipolar, alcoholic mother, alcoholic stepdad, two alcoholic, utter, utter, out of control, like chaos upon chaos for about five years. And the shame that that brought to me um, is, I, I just can't, I can't share that any more than just to say that. But it brought me great shame. And so I lived under shame of like of the home that I was from and, and what it looked like. And I, I was so embarrassed if somebody's going to give me a ride home, I would have them drop me off about three houses up. So yeah, yeah my house, my house I, I live right there. So okay, thank you for the ride. Really appreciate it. Yeah, right there is good. And they get out and I kind of went around. And then I would walk home because I, I wouldn't want them to see the home I lived in. That's how much shame I had. And so, but when you become a Christ follower, he just has a way of washing away the shame and you, you realize that that's not who you are. That, that's not who you are. And the, and the shame, you, you, you're, you're uh, washed of the shame so, so you don't identify with it and you can just be who God wants you to be and who God's called you to be. And that releases you then to, to just serve God. And you're not ashamed to like go to people and, and what it might look like, your association with them. That doesn't, uh, like maybe it's a homeless person or a person in prison. And you're not ashamed of that because uh, you realize that that's not who you are, who God has made you to be. And so onus for us is acknowledged by by Paul says, you were not ashamed of me in the relationship that we had. And so, uh, thirdly in your notes there, to be proactive and intentional, uh, uh, be proactive and intentional, and often he was visited by Paul there. And so, I want to wrap it up this way. This is who we are as a community. This is who we are as a community. So I just want to illustrate that. I say, well, well, what does that look like? That we want to be like Onus Forrest, who would just go, who would bring a, a glass of cold water and refresh someone that is forgotten there. And so I asked Garrett Castro, I don't know where Garrett is. Garrett Castro, are you around Garrett Castro? Garrett Castro, put your hands together and welcome Garrett Castro. And so, so Garrett's a great guy. Garrett's like my son. So do that again and really give him a big shout out there. So, uh, Skier and I, I've known Garrett since he was it's a little tiny guy, a little, little tiny guy. So we go way back, and I love Garrett like he's my son. He's such a great person. I just want to affirm you, Garrett. I just appreciate you so much that you are courageous and you are a visionary. And all these sleeping bags, about six or 700 sleeping bags, you know whose vision that was? That was Garrett's vision. Garrett had, Garrett had that vision to do that. And so... And Garrett, and what I appreciate him is, is he, he exemplifies this uh, Onus Forest spirit. 
Like he doesn't wait to plan things. He just, just does it. And so uh, for, for our community. So tell us about the recent thing, uh, recent outreach that we had there. Garrett, come right here yeah, a little bit more. So, so tell us morning, about guys. that. Um, so it was great because we, we had a crew from uh, Sanctuary. We had people from Wildwood Calvary come out. And really, it's, there's no exclusions. Anybody can come. It's awesome. Um, so the first thing we did is we went to our old stomping ground. It's Secumbi Lake Park in San Bernardino. And it's kind of a rough, a rough area. And we show up, and uh, the rock church is there. There's multiple other churches helping out. So we, we pray on it. And we're like, they have plenty of help here. I mean, they had a buffet. Everything was catered. It was crazy. So we prayed about it, and we said, Lord, you know, maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe we're so, supposed to go somewhere else. So we asked someone who was volunteering there, and they said there's a, a park called Paris Park. It's off of uh, Highland Avenue. It's kind of also in a, kind of a rough spot of town, but there could be some people there that need some help. So we go to the park, and we meet someone named T.T., and T.T.'s on a blanket, and, you know, we set up a barbecue, we're cooking, we're handing out sleeping bags, and, and we ask her if we can pray with her, and we, we go down, and we talk to her, and she just starts weeping, and um, they're living in chaos, you know, in those areas, and everything is just so uh, unpredictable on a day-to-day basis, so um, T.T. had a story, and we were sharing the gospel with her, and she broke down, and she's addicted to alcohol, you know, and she's, um, she's battled with it her whole life. And so we asked if we could pray for her, just to break the stronghold of addiction over her life, and, and we prayed for her, and she, she was at church last Sunday, sitting right over there in those right pews. On. Right on. So, yeah. So, Matthew 25, you got a vision for, tell us about that. So with Matthew 25, you know, it's amazing because we were just praying that God would put on our hearts where he wants us to go, where he wants us to be. We didn't know what it looked like. We didn't know where it would be. And God put our hearts on the homeless. And what really kind of happened at the same time is I heard a story about Mother Teresa. And when she was in Calcutta, it's one of the poorest cities in all of India, a really rough area. And her work there, she was always asked about her work with the sick people and the poor people. And she said this, she said, you know, when I see these people, I see Jesus. Mm. That's who I see. Mm. And that really just mm. transformed everything for us. You know, and we, Matthew mm. twenty five forty, we said, what does that look like? And helping the, the least of those, helping those people that really, mm. uh, and it could be a neighbor who's going through a divorce. It could be a, a coworker who's battling some disgruntled stuff. It could be anybody, but those are the least and we're called to do it. And um, that's where our heart's at. Mm. So Garrett, when we do the, the outreach is kind of just walk us through what does it look like yeah. and, and what are people doing? And yeah. Yeah. So we basically, we show up, we have a barbecue, we bring about 200 to 300 hamburgers and patties. We set up, we have a designated cooker. Um, it's not me. I can't cook. I'll burn it all. Uh, <laughs> but we hand out sleeping bags. We, we hand out uh, the gospel of Mark and we just ask people if we can sit down with them and pray with them mm. and release them from strongholds and share the gospel with people. Mm. And it's been, um, it's been incredible because we built these relationships with people that we never, uh, there's always, always a, a socioeconomic barrier and we, we had a hard time breaking through, but out there, all the walls are down, everyone's open and we get to just be just like them, pray with them and share some hope with them. Mm. So Garrett, um, I think what is unique and tell me, we, he, we haven't had this conversation. Tell me if it's not, but I think what, one of the things is really unique is that when we have teams go, the teams are relational. There's a relational component. Is that right? That's right. Can, yeah. you, can you expand or say, yeah. respond to that? Of course. You know, and that's the thing is you know, oftentimes it always happens at the most inopportune moments where you see someone who's in need and it's like, man, 
I gotta be, I gotta be somewhere. It's tough. In America, we're always at 9,000 RPMs. And I think when we get out there, we pray and we have this mindset and say, Lord, do something here where this is, this is your time. And we went out there one weekend and I remember talking to um, one of our friends out there and she said, you know what? I, I feel like you guys take time and you guys sit and you, you listen to the story and you do these things. And the most important thing that these people really need is just time. Mm-hmm. They need our time. They need to, they need to be heard. They need to be, they need, and through that we get to share the gospel and we'll pray with them. And so I think one of the biggest things about it is just showing them that it is a relationship. We're not just there to show up, pack up and leave. We, we keep in communication. We call them throughout the week. How are you doing? You know, how's your week? Is there anything that you need? You know, is you turn for Christ something that you're thinking about getting into whatever it is. So we just have to keep that relationship going. Cause on the streets, Garrett, it seems that, so many street people and homeless people, they're, they're street smart, and they know that, hey, here's the routine. A church comes, they unpack their goods, do a video, take some pictures, and they're out. That's right. And so the difference then is that you're bringing a team, and we're actually wanting to hear their story, want to sit down with them, want to, want to, 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 to pray with them, and that really means everything to them. It does. Right? Yeah, it's meaningful because we're, because it's in, we're, we're intentional, Mm-hmm. And we pray, and we always have, we always just keep in mind, Lord, do something awesome. This is yours. This isn't us. You know, he's using us as vessels to do it. But we have, when, whenever we go, we have a heart of expectation that people will be impacted because it's him leading it. And when we do that and we spend time, we've seen lives change. We've seen strongholds broken. We've seen people uh, weeping, you know, mm-hmm. as they're eating a hot dog, you know, we're sharing the gospel with them. It's incredible. Care so. is beautiful. It's all him. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, just so grateful, Garrett. I just want to thank you. It means so much to me that you do this. It means so much to me. And um, you're taking the teams. You take the next team. So, now you know, everybody knows who Garrett is. He's our director. Isn't he a great guy? He's a great guy right here. So, uh, anyway. So, Next time we go, it's simple. It's Saturday morning, a few hours. Yeah, it's about two, three hours. We're going to try to hours. coordinate something in November around Thanksgiving time. All right. uh, there's always a big need and always a big, a big show up with that. And it's just a great time to meet and pray and, and do what we do. That's awesome. Okay, that's coming. Great. All right, stand to your feet. Let's go. Father, thank you for just the great opportunities that you give us. You give us such great opportunities. And thank you that we are alive at this time. And um, Father, we pray that you would speak to us again and again about Onus Forrest and the impact that he had on Paul's life. And, Father, how we could even be used by you in that same spirit, that we were designed to, to know you, to hold on to your life-giving word, to go with the Holy Spirit, to realize that there are seasons of disappointment, but to build those Onus Forrest-type friendships that will carry us through life. And so, Father, see your children, I pray. Pray you would bless them. Pray your hand upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.